On this episode of DLN Extend, we are going to talk browsers. Ghostry, originally an extension to the browser, but now they are releasing their own browser with their privacy features baked right in. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 45 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. I'm Nate, and with me today, I have Wendy, the Jedi Master of all things camera and photography-related. Wendy, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you today, Nate? Well, a little tired, but great otherwise. I'm missing Matt. He said he's working or he's playing hooky. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Well, the excuse is that the morning manager didn't show up, so he has to work extra hours. I bet he'd rather be playing hooky right now than taking on another shift, but we miss you, Matt. Hope you get some sleep sometimes. Well, good luck, Matt. So, Wendy, what do you have going on? I dropped my daughter off yesterday at her Tuesday co-op, and then I figured, ah, well, I'll just swing back over to the one little pawn shop and see what they have. I didn't figure there would be anything new. This is the same one that I found that cute little HP 211, and I Uh walk in, and there is a Surface Pro 6 sitting there. When I looked at the price, I'm like, that looks really good. So it got me excited there. (laughs) It was already powered on, no password to get into it. So I was able to jump in there, check out the specs of this little Surface Pro. Actually, it's not that little, but compared to my desktop or the kitchen system, it is quite little. An i5, 8250U, four core, eight thread, eight gigs of RAM. And I'm like, yeah. And the guy who owns it was the one that I talked to yesterday yesterday and as we're looking at it, he was like oh well let's jump on ebay and see what they're going for i'm like oh my gosh please don't do that because you're gonna do want to charge me more like this is a good price so i'm thinking to myself i'm screaming to myself god don't look on ebay don't look on ebay don't look on ebay and we're looking at it and you know all of them are at least 200 250 higher than what the asking price is for this microsoft service right now and, and i mentioned you know it was for the kids and he has kids himself not only did we look at it and see that it's going for way higher. He still dropped it another 25 bucks for me out the door. Nice. That was including taxes and all. So we have a new Microsoft Surface Pro 6. It's in really good shape. It came with the keyboard, which is absolutely awesome. I threw Manjaro on it yesterday. And because it is a Surface device, it needs a specialty kernel Got the specialty kernel installed, so all of the touch features work. It didn't come with a pen, but I really, really want a pen now because supposedly with the specialty kernel for the device, all of the touch features work really good, even with the pressure sensitivity. So I'd love to get that a try out. And I was telling Matt about it yesterday after I bought it. Look what I found. He reminded me, hey, Jing OS, that's a supported device for that new operating system. Are you going to give it a go? He just reminded me about that. I read the message this morning, so I haven't tried it out yet, but I will absolutely be trying that out. I'm so excited. 
excited to give that a try after seeing what it looked like before. And I will be reporting back on how that works on this device. That's really awesome. One that you got a good deal on it too. The last time I looked at Surface Pros, I was looking at a two and I didn't realize there have been four more. Well, there's probably more than that now. Yeah, there's a seven. The newest version right now is a seven. So I have one below the latest. Gotcha. It's eighth generation i5. That's a really great deal. Do you know if the RAM is upgradable in that or is it soldered on? It's not. It's all together because it is such a slim tablet style device. There really isn't any easily working on the insides. That's the downside of a lot of these two-in-ones is that because they are so compact, there really isn't the upgradability of them as you can do the larger laptops. So I've been torn between these two-in-ones. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go with them is just portability, right? I was all about the larger laptop, older HPs, the older Dells, the ones that were meant for work. So they were clunky, they were heavier, but you had easy access to being able to upgrade the RAM, upgrade the drives, you know, any of that stuff, really easy to work on. And I do have a couple projects related to that going on in the background. Ooh, that's fun. Yes, I I do quite enjoy that. I have RAM I need to go buy for a couple older laptops. But that is definitely a downside of the devices. The upside of them is how easy they are to pack around. That little HP device that I have, right now it's sitting on the desk in my daughter's bedroom. She uses the heck out of it. And that is what they love. And what I love for the kids is they can do their work on them, but they can take them anywhere. And I used to think the only laptop for me was one with high specs, big screen. That was the only way to go. And I've come to really enjoy these smaller devices. Jump on the iFixit forms or whatever and see how they come apart and different things that you can do just in case. But with what I've paid for these devices, I'm good with it. But I want to buy one of these new? No. Absolutely not. I think they're outrageous in price, even when we don't have the market so crazy as it is. So buying them brand new is probably not an option I'd ever go with. But buying them used like this, I think they're worth it. I see where you're coming from. On, you don't have to have the powerhouse laptop always. I find that my, I don't want to say beefier laptop, but my older laptop, which you know when I purchased, I didn't think it was oversized. It's a little bit thicker, a little bit heavier, but it has the storage and the RAM and everything else. I've come around to the idea of having it lighter, maybe not, not quite is CPU powerful, but lasts forever, like as far as on battery. Yeah. There's something almost liberating about you don't have to worry about your power cord, take your laptop with you, and you don't really have to think about it too much. You know, there's something, there's a lot of benefit to that. And now does that Surface Pro, does it charge off of USB-C? Do you know? It doesn't charge off USB-C. It has a funky little charger that's different, though it does look like the power brick has a USB adapter. I've still got some looking to do, but I haven't even had it for 24 hours yet. Almost. <laughs> We're almost 24 hours, but I haven't owned it for 24 hours yet. I got a little more looking to do on it. The main thing that happened when I brought it home yesterday, it was getting windows off of it just as fast as I possibly could. Right, gotta, <laughs> gotta clean the windows. Clean the windows right off. Clean the windows off of it. You know, one of the downsides of both this one and the other little one is the hard drives aren't really big, right? This one's only 128 gigs. You're not going to be doing massive intensive work on them in general. Like you were saying, one of the best things about stuff this size or stuff that has a really long battery life that you don't have to worry about, not all of your work is super intensive, right? You write blog posts, right. you're chatting with different people keeping up with the community, doing some research, writing a paper, that kind of thing. None of that needs super intensive hardware, just some basic stuff and having a long battery life in those use cases 
is so much more important. I agree. Like, what I find amazing is even playing games on those lower power requirement type machines still lasts a long time. And in fact, I was like my Elite Book here that, that I have, my HP Elite Book. I have to worry about the battery less on that than my phone. It actually lasts better. Like it's balanced better running Linux than my Android phone. So you know they say when you know, ARM is better on power. I'm, I'm starting to come around here. I think that Intel, like I don't have an AMD laptop. Intel's not doing too bad. So it's just still more obviously more expensive than ARM. The downside about ARM, I think when it comes to power is the apps running in the background. And I think that's one of the biggest things you have to watch with an Android device or with something that things can continually run. You know, even on your computer, you can have things that are continually running in the background. That's where not running Windows, I think, comes in because you usually have so many things that are running in the background that are eating power that you typically just don't have on a Linux system, which in turn makes your battery last so much more. It's true. And I know people complain that they don't get as much battery life out of Linux as they do Windows. Between things like TLP and other tuning techniques that the the major distributions are doing, I think we're seeing a lot of that gap close up. And especially since Linux is more efficient with CPU cycles, I almost think that gap is non-existent at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sleeping and waking up in Linux is way more stable than Windows, but that is a discussion for a whole other time. (laughs) We could go on this topic forever. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because we might skip the browser thing going, yeah, not my Windows machine, but my recent Windows adventures made me so much more grateful for Linux as of late. Absolutely. Off of the topic of all of the laptops, which you could talk about forever, what have you been up to? Well, I recently wrote an article, or was recently published, I should say, on front page Linux on webcamoid. It is, I think, the best webcam application for desktop Linux. For years, I've been playing with other desktop webcam applications and they all were kind of meh at best. They would work, they'd do the job. They were a little bit clunky to use and or not very stable. Webcamoid, what I have been using, is great. If you have your phone, what's the point of a webcam application? I don't keep my phone by me, typically. I don't get great signal in my basement. I mean, it works, but it's not great. Since I don't like to text on it, I don't really use it for a lot of things. I just keep it in my kitchen, plugged in and away from me. I use Element to SMS people. If I really have to, you know, there's other ways of getting into it too, if I really need to. Then I just gonna keep it away from me. And so if I need to take a picture of something real quick, I could either run upstairs, grab my phone, take a picture, and then run it back upstairs and plug it back in. or I can just use the web camera on my computer, which is how I've used it when I want to just show somebody something. So, I mean, it's maybe a little bit awkward, I guess, but I just hold it up, click go. What's really neat about it is you have all these things you can do to kind of tune the camera itself, which is nice. Oh, nice. But also they have like fun little effects. All those filters that people like to play with. That Instagram is full of. Yes. So now those filters are dumb. Now the cool filters that WebCamoid has is you can look like Firestorm, the Marvel character, where you can have like flames come off of you every time you like move your head, or you can be in the Matrix, or you can do other fun effects. That's really why I think it's really fun. So I did an article about webcamoid. You can actually see what it looks like. You know, the broken TV one is very funny. It would give you a headache. I think if you ran it too long. I'm just thinking how much fun it'd be to use effects like that when doing like a video conference with somebody like broken TV with like the vertical sync off and just kind of keeps rolling and has some static. Don't even acknowledge the fact that you have a broken TV or like the effect going or even like the pixelation. That's fun too. But anyway, so there's all these different little fun things that it does. It brings a smile to my face just using it. And that's why I think it's the best web camera application ever got published on front page Linux a few days ago, maybe it's a week ago now. I don't even know. I've lost track of time due to life. I also enjoy the fact that I got a lot of feedback on that article. Someone asked about using an IP cam for phone, which is totally unrelated, but it actually brought a great discussion as far as some other options. So my thought is, you know, using something like OBS, it gave me ideas, which is what I love about the Linux community, the destination Linux community, especially. 
is how you throw out an idea and then you get all this other information like, oh, these are things I need to try now because of this great community that we're part of. And so now I'm going to play with like an old piece of garbage phone as a webcam. I now know as an option. I didn't even think of it before. I think it's pretty exciting. That'd be super cool. Yeah, that would be super awesome. The worst thing about the community and all the suggestions is sometimes I can't keep track of them all. And I'm like, oh, that was so cool. I need to go try that. I need to just start a running document with a list of things like that so I can check back. Yeah, I need a way to keep track of all the suggestions that come in from the community because there's some super awesome ones I'd love to try. And then I get busy and forget. Now, I have to give you a bit of a warning on that because I do have a list, a running list of things. And now my list is so incredibly (laughs) overwhelming that it's probably a mistake to start to begin with. Community is just great when it comes to ideas, things to try, stuff to do. Makes my workbench that I have behind me really, really cluttered because I start one thing and I get excited about something else. I really have to concentrate on finishing things. So this is a message to the community. Please stop exciting me. No, I'm kidding. It's just part of the fun of this whole open source movement and and whatnot. So I love the community for that. It's great. Yes. And that's definitely hard for my ADHD brain to stay focused. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed it is. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Speaking of the community giving great ideas about things to try, the folks over there at the Destination Linux podcast just introduced something that I had no idea about. Ghostree, they're getting into the web browser battle. I've not used the Ghostry privacy extension. Wendy, I understand that this is something that you actually use. Yeah, I've actually been using the Ghostry extension for goodness, a while now, long enough. I don't even remember when I first installed it. And one of the things that attracted me to Ghostry was A, their focus was on privacy and B, their license is an open source license. I try to go with an open source option if I can. And this is one of those cases where I found an application a browser add-on that fit the need plus had an awesome open license to it. What does Ghostry, the add-on do? Well, it helps keep tracking away. It helps with ad blocking. One of the things that I love about the Ghostry add-on is it tells you A, how long it took for the page to load, how many blockers are being tracked, requests that are modified, all of that stuff. The add-on itself has been really cool. And then the guys on DLN were talking about it this week. Ghostry a few days ago popped up and said, hey, we are beta testing this browser. Do you want to check it out? And I was busy doing something. I can't remember what it was, but I didn't have time to look at it. And I just kind of brushed it away. Then the guys were talking about it. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I totally wish that I would have jumped on the bandwagon for the beta. So I have signed up for the Ghostry beta to give their web browser a try. I'm kind of interested to see how it works. They're claiming on their website 
website that it's going to load pages faster and all of that good stuff. So you're taking the goodness of the Ghostry browser extension and baking that full force into the browser itself. So instead of working on that from the side, it's helping to keep track of your privacy from the browser in and of itself. Now, I do know that there's other browsers that talk about privacy and whatnot. Firefox being... Yeah, one of them. But there also things like Brave is another one. Vivaldi, I think, is another. People like talk highly about those or Tor browser helping to maintain what privacy you can have on the internet. Now, I actually haven't heard of Ghostry. I've been using uBlock Origin for quite some time and it has served me well. I don't see any problems with it, but when I look at Ghostry, interface seems a lot cleaner and this is nothing against uBlock Origin, but as far as how it breaks things down, it gives you graphs and whatnot so you can see what's going on here. So I'm going to try switching to Ghostry and see how that affects my browsing life. I do wonder, because I do have some filters in the uBlock origin that kind of keeps irritating things away, I guess you could say. I can look up how to maybe translate some of that stuff over. Outside of that, one, I do like the presentation on that. I did also sign up for the beta, because I would like to try that. I have every other browser on my computer, it seems, so I don't know why I can't add another to that merry band of browsers to uh, Smash Brothers it out. I'm curious to see how it'll handle certain pages. I love Firefox. It's been one of the main browsers I've been running mainly because I want to fight against Google taking over absolutely everything else. And two, they're also a privacy-focused web browser. That's the two big reasons why I've used Firefox. And I've noticed that based just on some of the privacy settings built into Firefox, there are certain websites that don't want to work. And so I've had to jump over to Chromium to navigate or do something on that website. And then I'm back over to Firefox. Now, is Ghostry going to be the same way? Uh, one of the places we like to buy streaming movies on Firefox, the trailer or whatever won't play. But if I jump over to Chromium, then the trailer and stuff will play just fine. So there's something in there that's not communicating quite right with some of the privacy blocking so it won't let that trailer or the movie play. Is Ghostry going to have some of those same issues? That is interesting. I do know that with Firefox, when I have to access certain sites, I have to disable uBlock Origin in order for them to load. Otherwise, they just kind of sit and spin a while. So I'll disable it just for a bit and then re-enable it. So I wonder if I'll be able to do that with Ghostry. That'd be important to know. I'd like to take it like a full gambit of testing and see how it goes. I haven't been the biggest browser geek in general. It's kind of, I found one that works for me that fits in that privacy bill and I've stuck with it. I've never tried Brave. Well, maybe I did have Brave installed for a short time. I know that that's a pretty common one within the Linux community. And I haven't been big on them just based on where they've been in and some of the news as far as saying, hey, we're taking these ads off and putting our own ads on. There's been some sketchy stuff in the background with Brave. Don't get me wrong. Firefox in and of itself has had its own realm of drama. I don't think there's any project out there that has no drama ever. And these things are done by real people. And sometimes the choices we make aren't always the best ones. <laughs> but that's just part of being human and running a project, right? Yeah, I like to say people are imperfect. And imperfect people get together and make imperfect organizations that make imperfect decisions. You just have to have a little grace when dealing with organizations yeah. and people. Otherwise, you're going to go mad. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I can't speak personally for Brave. Vivaldi is definitely another one that I hear a lot of really good things about, but I've never run myself. So I don't have firsthand knowledge on that. Do you, have you used either one of those in an extensive period of time? I've used Vivaldi and I was really annoyed by the defaults as far as using it. I can't remember all what it was that bothered me. Some other start page, start screen, whatnot. I did not care for it. I have used Brave. Getting it to install in a 
OpenSUSE was a bit of a chore. And so I just decided I didn't really want to use it. I didn't want to use something that wasn't easy to get working on my desktop. So is it not in the main repos for OpenSUSE? And so you had to go to secondary repos to get it. What made it hard to install? Something like that. I think I'd like manually install it with an RPM. It's because it's not in the repos at all for open, any of the OpenSUSE repos. I think at the time it might have been guitar.gz that I installed to use it or something like that. We had to like make it. It was a process. Vivaldi was similar, I think. I, mean, I could be wrong on that. No, Vivaldi is in the OpenSUSE repositories. I just didn't enjoy my browsing experiences wasn't good on Vivaldi. So I've also tried Opera, but I've fallen away from Opera probably some 10 years ago. I apologize for this, but I prefer Microsoft Edge over Vivaldi and I shouldn't, but I do. It seems to run cleaner. It was easy to install. Microsoft made it easy, which is a weird thing for me to say that I'm uttering out of my mouth. I mean, it has its yeah. own repository that automatically is set up on my system when I install the RPM. Microsoft made it easier to install their browser on Linux than this open source project. So that's a little crazy. That just seems counterintuitive when you're dealing with Microsoft in and of itself. And I've never used their new Edge browser, which is now based off of Google Chrome. Based off of Chromium, not Chrome. The only thing I remember from Edge was in the days where I used to use Windows and I used Edge to install Chrome. Because it didn't take very long before it was common knowledge of if you wanted viruses on your system, continue to use Edge. Right. I now wonder, like, what's the difference now between Edge using Chromium? As, is my system now at risk because I use it? What my risks are? Which is why I'm very interested in Ghostry, because they do make it a point to block errant things, it seems. Right. Although I'm not really terribly worried in Linux because of the whole permissions thing. All those ways of getting around it. One of the reasons why I've used it is the anti-tracking. I don't want to be tracked. So I have Firefox already saying, hey, don't track me when I go to a website. Plus then I've gotten the additional add-on saying, hey, don't track me. This will be kind of a double protection, I guess I have now. So I'm curious as to how it will work with just Ghostry making those changes. And I have to say, I'm not against ads in general. Really, I'm not. I've found some really great things, stuff that I've wanted, stuff that's helped me through ads. The problem has become invasive ads. The ones that pop up exactly. and they're taking over whole screens or the ones that quote unquote are there for an ad, but they take up your entire screen. They say, hey, something's wrong with your computer. And it's part of the reason why I installed ad blocking on my in-laws computer. But once again, I know I've told this story here before. They'd already been running Linux for two years. And I get a call from my father-in-law saying, hey, this is that there's a virus on our Windows computer. You guys aren't running Windows. You're running Linux. This is just trying to get your information, right? This is... An internet scoundrel. At least that's how yes, I call it. <laughs> absolutely. So I told them how they could get out of this, you know, full page thing that had popped up there. That's why there's an ad blocker there. I have kids. There are certain things that'll come up on websites that is completely and totally inappropriate for my children to see. Am I against all ads? Am I against ads that are done tastefully? Absolutely not. I think they are very important in helping projects like Ghostry or Bitwarden or any of those things to get the information out there so people can use these things or you can find products that are beneficial to you. It's all of those people who are doing it bad or doing it to the point of being nefarious that makes these ad blockers essential. If advertisers were more ethical in the way they advertise, don't try and get my information. Just make a good presentation. That would yeah. be a great way to advertise. Just make a good presentation. I actually enjoy ads on the radio when I listen to my in my vehicle. I like to know what new things are out there, what's going on in the community, mm -hmm. what's uh, in, in my local community, not just the online community, but what's going on. I want to know these things, but don't ask me 
all these questions. Don't don't try and pull information from me. Don't create a, a shadow profile on me. Just make good presentations. Right. That's all you have to do. Make good presentations. Create a quality product. And if I like what you're selling, I will participate in it. But you don't need to know my entire life history to do it. That's exactly the case. And I, and I understand why, why that's so hard. But here we are talking about a browser that keeps others ethical. <laughs> yes. One of those necessary evils anymore that is there. It does seem to be that way. Okay, since we're talking about maybe switching over browsers, I have to touch on one of my favorite add-ons that I use in Firefox, and that is Dark Reader. Same. Dark Reader is so awesome. I struggle with migraines. I have done so many things to reduce the amount of migraines I get, but one trigger I will never be rid of is really bright light. And so to stare at a white screen all of the time, I just can't do it. It really causes a lot of eye strain, even with my blue light blocking glasses. Dark Reader has been a lifesaver for me. Falcon. I use this browser a lot on OpenSUSE. It's a cute based web browser that's pretty minimal. I like it because it's minimal. The problem is extensions, but the Dark Reader is one of those extensions I wish it had. And also Bitwarden is another extension I wish it had. Those two things would be the perfect browser. And then now, you know, potentially Ghostry would be another extension that I'm interested in because I am now going to try this in lieu of uBlock just to see how that is. Or am I actually, I'm going to wait till I get the beta. I want to get the beta so I can actually test side by side my Firefox experience with Ghostry browser the difference to see how this goes too. yeah some websites i can't access them with the uBlock origin activated i have to deactivate it temporarily and then reactivate it or temporarily turn it off for that site ghostry because there are some within that that you know it won't allow me to go to hey we sent you have an ad blocker and so you can't visit here and if i don't really need the website uh, sometimes i'll just leave instead of whitelisting it because some of those that I, I don't know i get really worried it's like visiting different websites for windows and trying to pull a file or a program that you need. Some of those that say, hey, we sent you're using an ad blocker. You need to turn it off to view the page. I get that same kind of skepticism of mm, what kind of tracking information, not the ads, what kind of tracking information do you want to pull from me if I turn this off? So depending on the website, I'll whitelist it. That's one thing that Ghostry allows you to do is you can whitelist a website so you don't have to turn off the whole thing. You can just turn it off for that single page. Right. That makes sense. Well, it's neat to see that the browser war is kind of heating up. I was actually concerned that things were going to die on this front and that there was not going to be the kind of competition out there and we're going to have to all resort to using one browser or something. Seeing that there's an open source company that's getting into the browser game, it'll be very interesting to see how things progress from that. I'm looking forward to this. Whenever I get permission to be a beta tester for Ghostry, I'm going to be there. Absolutely. I'm there with you. We'll have to touch back on this topic again after we've both got to play with it for a little bit and see what we think. Excellent. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. 
You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. They offer an, a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Well, Wendy, I see that you have a camera corner update. I'm really on the edge of my seat, except I have a standing desk, on my tippy toes to know what's going on at the camera corner. For one, I am extremely jealous about your standing desk. This is one of the things that Michael has, Ryan now has, you have, and I need one of these. Totally jealous there. And yes, I do have a camera corner update. One of the biggest things that was holding me back in camera corner was having a capture card. What am I wanting to do with this? Not only am I wanting to show how I'm editing stuff, but I'm also wanting to show how shots are taken and having a capture card will make that better. I would have had one here a few months ago, but as you all know, my dishwasher died and my capture card money went to buying a new dishwasher. Though I do have to say, I'm quite enjoying this new dishwasher. It's doing an excellent job. So while I'm mad that my old one died, this one is still making me happy. But it's hard to capture video in a dishwasher. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And capture cards don't wash dishes very well. They don't wash dishes very well. <laughs> so I was doing some more research on where I was going to go with a capture card. Do I wanted to use a USB style device? Did I want to use one that goes directly into my main system? So the downside of one that is a PCI card is that it is stuck in my main system. So everything has to be done through the same room where that tower is. I have a full-size tower. This thing's a beast. I am not packing it around the house to do stuff from there. The only time it comes off my desk is when it's time to get the dust out of the system. It's not moving. So I was looking a little bit more into the USB style capture cards and I came across one that is specifically meant for some hardware that I already have. And the best part is that price-wise, it's on the lower side. I have an Atomos Ninja that can take the raw footage directly from my camera into the Atomos device and puts out a higher quality. The current Nikon cameras that I have, they compress it quite a bit in order to save it. For the most part, that's not too bad. We've shot some other videos, especially for the kids' school, that kind of thing, using only the compression from the camera. And that's fine until you've realized you've shot this piece of video and you need to make some more fine-tuned adjustments to it. The less data you have on the video is just like if you have a higher compressed image. It is hard to make the tweaks to balance out your lighting, your color, any of that, the more compressed the end product is. The Atomos allows me to capture all of that video information at a higher quality. 
they have an Atomos USB capture device that I'm really excited about. It's only about $90 compared to, you know, some of the $300, $400 where it comes in on the either PCIe or other high quality USB capture devices. This is right now in my cart and I'm getting ready to click buy and get that one in. The only thing I'm now figuring out is what to do for the mic. The mic I'm currently using right now, I had planned to use for video with the Atomos. It's an XLR mic. My Atomos has a really funky, it's not a straight, large three pin connector. It needs an additional connector. Do I buy the connector? and take the mic that I'm using to podcast right now on and off my mic stand to use it for video, or do I just get a second mic? So we've got one part I think covered and another part I'm still in the process of trying to figure out how I wanna work with that hardware-wise, but we are making progress in getting Camera Corner to be a real thing. That's very cool. Now, is this something that you're getting from like a B&H or somebody like that that has that kind of... Yeah, B&H sells it. Um, I've bought most of my stuff through Adorama. They've had really great customer service and that kind of thing. So I was probably going to just go ahead and order it from there where that's where I ordered my original Atomos. I've ordered... I've ordered all kinds of things from them. The USB device that my mic goes into, my mic, my mic stand, all of that stuff has come from Adorama. So probably just stick with them and, and order the capture card through there as well. Now, I do have a capture device. It's a USB 3 and an HDMI in. It works okay. There's probably some latency issues with it, like a little bit. Mm. But that could be because I'm having to go through another box that converts that into an HDMI signal. That could be the problem. Yeah, the more places it has to pass through, the more lag that you will eventually get from it. I know that is one of the downside of a USB device in general is A, there can be some lag between the two. And B, if you have so many USB devices plugged in at once, there's you know, potential for some interference. Right. It works for what I do. I was going to do a Commodore 64 live stream, myself and my oldest playing a game. And that's when the Commodore 64 decided it would stop working. It didn't work out. So it did work very well. There was a little bit of lag that I noticed. But I think when you're going older systems like the Nintendo and Commodore 64, Atari, they have zero lag. And I think my brain just expects that. It's all analog and everything's analog on the uh, on the video output. There's no delay. And so having any little bit of delay I, seems like I notice it. Yeah. I've got the C64 Maxi. It's a modern, it's like a rebirth of the Commodore 64, but it uses HDMI out and USB devices instead of, you know, the old analog stuff, which is great for the kids. There's a little bit of a loss of something. I, I can't, I know what it is, but it's not important. I should try that to see if I notice lag there as well. That would be an interesting experiment. It would be. Good luck on your search for the video capture device that's perfect for you. I know a lot of people struggle with that. This is nothing new <laughs> for anybody. Yeah. So I'll hopefully you can get that worked out. I don't even know how much I spent on mine. I don't think it was that much. I got an eBay from somebody. I'm interested in seeing when Camera Corner is in full swing. I'm excited to get it out. You guys have supposed to be asking where it is every week and you've been falling down on your jobs there. Well, I do that a lot. Fall on my job. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've been a little busy plowing snow and all of that other fun stuff. I'm still working on it behind the scenes. Camera Corner is coming, but that is where we are on the state of things. The biggest part is missing certain pieces of hardware in order to get the show out the way I want it to be. Right. It's got to be how you want it. Otherwise, you're not happy. And if you're not happy, there's no point in doing it. Absolutely. 
Well, I know, Nate, you've talked quite a bit about CAD and how you use it for all kinds of different projects, both in work and in play. Is there a new CAD application you'd like to tell us about? Yes, this one is for play. It's called LeoCAD. I may have talked about this before on DLN Extend, but it's a Lego CAD application. So you build Legos virtually. You don't get the satisfaction of the clicking of the Legos together, that sound. There's a, a certain sound it makes. Mm. You know what I'm talking about. Not the sound yes, you get I when do. you step on it. That's a different kind of clicking sound. That is not an enjoyable sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not not a good click. That's a bad click. So LeoCAD version 21.01 was released and I'm using it on the flat pack this time because I am. The OpenSUSE version is not like the one from the build service. It requires a little bit of extra work because you have to separately load the graphics, the, the components into it, you know, the different bricks and whatnot. It's an irritating process. There are legal reasons why they have to do it that way. So if I just use the flat pack, I don't have to worry about it. So I install the flat pack. What I like about the flat pack is it integrates perfectly with the user environment. So and it's also, it's cute based. So everything just looks really nice with it. My kids like to play it with it. And I, I've been using an app image, I think version 19 something. So it's been a while since, or 20 something. I, anyway, it doesn't matter. I install it. My oldest, especially, he really likes really likes to, to play with Legos physically and virtually. The others are more physically. And so he was building some things and, and whatnot. So I have a order pending or a series of orders pending on BrickLink now for something that he wants to build that he put together. Ooh. I'm excited about that. It's a fun educational thing to do. But what I like about the new LeoCAD is they've cleaned up a lot of the interface. It wasn't bad before, but things like the rendering. So you can render whatever it is that you're, you've built. So it's not just like the CAD look of it, but it actually does proper lighting and so forth and renders an image from oh, that. Awesome. Yeah, that's it's really neat. And actually it works properly now. I had some issues with it before, but now it works great. It's beautiful. The interface, they've reorganized sections a little bit where it makes more sense. So like if you have submodels, it's at the top of your list. So you can actually go to that first. It's like a lot of little tweaks here and there. I decided I'm actually writing an article of everything that I've, what I like about it and so forth. So I'm slowly putting that together as I test it out and play with it. They've added some efficiency in it. I follow the GitHub. They do, you know, whenever there's updates and so forth to it. So it's been a very active communications and a lot of updates and, and so forth that are being done to LeoCAD. It's really pretty amazing. It sounds awesome. It sounds like something I need to get installed on all of these little systems that the kids are using so they can play with it too. I know my oldest boy would absolutely love it. It's really great. There's some things it doesn't do that I wish it would do yet is it doesn't recognize where the hinge locations are on some pieces. So you have to manually set that. I don't know how they would fix that. That'd be a difficult thing to do thinking about it, how they handle stuff. Also, the biggest thing that I like about it, by default now, it recognizes if you're running a dark theme, it will automatically switch the whole interface to that as far as like everything, not just the widgets, but the whole thing. Very nicely done. It looks great in a dark theme. You know, I don't have to tweak it. It just does it. And so I'm, I'm very happy about that as well. So anyway, that's what I've been playing with. I got a series of BrickLink orders that I, I need like 20 bucks for this creating this set, basically. That's not bad. And here's something else that's really neat about it too. If you order these steps of how you put the set together in the tree, you can actually then create instructions from LeoCAD, which is really neat. So you can, you know, step-by-step -step instructions and how you do that. You can do all that stuff within LeoCAD. And it's very cool how that works. I appreciate that other little tidbit about LeoCAD. It's awesome. I think this needs to be on every computer. It should, especially if you like Legos. And the best part about LeoCAD is you cannot step on any bricks. Best part. I would have to 100% agree with you <laughs> on that. Not stepping on Legos is amazing. <laughs> it's a wonderful feeling to not step on Legos. <laughs> <laughs> it's safer for your children. It's safer for your feet. It's safer for, you know, all around. Exactly. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on where you can find me, you can go to cubiclenight.com. 
Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. If you want to follow Matt, his random ramblings of nonsense is on Twitter at MattDLN. I still don't have a solid social media, but you can always drop me a line on the DLN discourse form. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. See yous. Thank you.